0: Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, again, welcome. And also, welcome to the year 2015. Uh, I want to start off with a question about this year. And that is this. Do you know that 2015 could be one of the most important years of your life? There are 365 days in this year. Of those 365 days, three and a half have passed. There are 361.5 days still in this year. For some of us, it could be the best year of our life. For some of us, it could be the worst year of our life. And for many of us, it'll probably be somewhere in between. But what if you gave those 361.5 days to God this year? What if you gave them to him and offered them up to him and said, God, do with these days what you want. I am yours. I surrender completely to you. God can do marvelous things in just one year. After all, this church didn't exist one year ago. Two years ago, It was just a distant dream, and I'd never been to Spencer Isle. God can do marvelous things in just one year. And one of the ways that he does those marvelous things is through his word. God brings about change, change through his word. That's why we study God's word verse by verse uh, most Sundays here at Crosswind Church, because we believe that God will use it to affect change in the lives and the hearts of people. He brings the dead to life through his words. He, He convicts the lost and brings them home, and he can save marriages from the brink of destruction through the power of his word. If you were with us before Advent, you remember that we are going through the book of 1 Peter, and we've been working our way through it and made it through uh, the first part of chapter 3 in this book. And as we've been working through 1 Peter, we've been reminded time and time again that it is a book for those who are hurting, for those who are in the midst of difficult times in their life, and it gives hope, and that hope is found in the gospel. Paul shares this picture of a very big God to a people who are suffering and says, hold on, because God will get you through it. This morning, we're going to be looking just at one verse, at verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 3, and it really focuses on the role of men in marriage. If you were here last time we were in 1 Peter, we looked at the roles of women in marriage, and I think that it's appropriate for us to just spend a little bit of time recapping those first six verses of chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 here at the very beginning. Peter says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if you do not obey the word, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. There's a lot of things that that are said in those verses. I just want to focus on a few key points that Peter makes here about relationships between husbands and wives. The first one is found in verses 1 and 2, and this is what Peter is saying here. He's saying that God uses the submission of wives to bring about salvation to others. Okay, God brings about salvation to other people through the submission of See, in Peter's day, most of the women who became Christians actually were the only person in their house who had become Christians. Their husbands remained unconverted, unbelievers, and they were faced with with a big question mark. They were confused about where their allegiances lied. See, the culture was telling them that the primary authority in their life was their husband. But the gospel said the primary authority in their life should be God. And both of these things were pulling in opposite directions. And Peter says that the best thing that you can do for yourself, the best thing that you can do for your husband, is to self-sacrificially submit to your husband. Peter says that God will use this, God will use this to bring salvation to people who don't have it yet. Those who are not Christians are not going to become Christians through well-reasoned arguments about why the gospel is true. They're going to be one to Christ through the faith of wives in action. They're going to become Christians through active faith, not through words. That's what Peter is saying here, that God uses the submission of wives, the self-sacrifice, the self-denial of wives to bring about salvation for others, both their husbands, their children, and those who are around them. That's the first thing that he's telling us here. Second thing is found in verses 3 and 4, and he says this, that God calls women to true beauty. God calls women to true beauty. The importance of physical beauty, Pales in in significance compared to the importance of true inner beauty. See inner beauty. I love the way that Peter puts it here. He says that it's imperishable. This gentle spirit is imperishable. All beauty in this world fades. Perfect figures are lost. Wrinkles become a part of skin. Even in nature, if you look out, things that are beautiful in nature run their course of time and fade in beauty, but not a gentle spirit. Peter tells us that this is imperishable. It is something that we should focus on. Christ-likeness in our life is something that is so important. I love the way that, that Peter describes this in God's eyes. He says this is very precious in God's sight. The thing that God wants more than anything else for his daughter's for the people who are a part of his kingdom, is for them to be like Christ, to have this Christ-like gentle spirit in their lives. And for those who are fathers of daughters, I I ask you that same question. Is that the most important thing to you in your daughter's life when she shows Christ-likeness? If we praise academic accomplishments or athletic accomplishments more than Christ-likeness, then we're showing our children what the most important thing is to us. Let us be like God, our Heavenly Father, and praise Christ-likeness. Praise this gentle spirit. Let it be very precious in our sight. And the final thing that Peter does is, as he's closing this first six verses, is he gives us an example of what this looks like. And that example is Sarah. See, Sarah was the mother of the Jewish nation. She was Abraham's wife. And what Peter is saying here is he's actually pointing to, uh, to Sarah as a model of what this looks like, of faith, of a focus on Christ rather than on external appearances. Now, the interesting thing is, in Genesis, it actually talks more about the fact that Sarah was beautiful than it does it talks about her spirit. But the thing that stands, the test of time, isn't her looks. It is her faith. Let that be an encouragement to you this morning. In a society that constantly shoves down uh, impossible physical standards, shoves them down our throat, time and time again, let this be an encouragement to you that the most important thing for you is to have a Christ-like spirit. That's really what Peter is saying in these first six verses is he's addressing women. And he turns the page in verse 7 and addresses men. He asks, what about men? What is the thing that men should be doing in marriage? And Peter gives us one simple but extremely Difficult truth for men, and that is this that a godly husband sacrifices self in service to his spouse. Let me say that again a godly husband sacrifices self in service to his spouse. That's really all that being a Christian husband is. As I said, it's really easy to understand up here. It's insanely difficult to put into practice. And so that's what he focuses on in this verse. And he really tells us what this calling looks like. First of all, what is the calling for Christian men? And then after that, he gives us motivation, why we should try to do this in our lives. That's really what we're going to be looking at this morning. But before we do that, let's pray one more time as we approach God's word. God, we do, again, thank you that you speak through your word. We thank you that you teach us and that you reveal yourself to us. God, I pray that you would do that now uh, for those who have been married for 30, 40, 50 years, and for those who are single. God, let us know what you would have us learn from this passage. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Again, we'll be in uh, verse seven today. We're going to go deep into this verse, so I invite you to follow along. I'm just going to read the first half of verse seven here. It says this: um, "Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel." I mentioned that Peter first focuses on God's calling for Christian husbands. What does God call them to do, and what does God call them to be like? The first thing that God's calling for Christian men is, is this, to know your wife. To know your wife. In the ESV, it translates it this way, live with your wives in an understanding way. What it literally is saying is live with your wives with knowledge. You should know what your wife is like, and you should use that knowledge to serve her better. Remember, the focus of this passage is to serve your wife sacrificially. First thing that you should do is to know your wife. But what exactly does that look like? Well, one of the ways that we know our wives is through continuing to date them continuing to pursue them, continuing to focus on ways that we can get to know them. We have a tendency in our society to have really extremely overloaded schedules. We have everything scheduled to the max, and everything, uh, honestly, we don't have time for everything that we are doing. And one of the tendencies that we have, I know this is one of my tendencies, is to sacrifice stronger relationships for the sake of weaker ones. So, for example, if you have uh, deadline at work that you know is coming up, you will tend to sacrifice a strong relationship with your wife because you know that she'll still love you. So that way you can stay at work late and get things done more efficiently. Sacrifice the stronger relationship for the sake of weaker ones. But my friends, that's not a good idea at all. It's important for us to have intentional time with our wives each and every week. For some of us, that means to have a date night, to set aside a a night each week where we actually intentionally pursue and, and date are wise. For some of us, we're not in a good time of life for that, and so it might be something such as getting up a few uh, minutes earlier, half an hour earlier, to spend time investing in and, and fellowshipping with your wife. Or for some of you that aren't early birds, but you're the night owls, you'll, you'll do the opposite on the opposite end of the day. It doesn't really matter what it looks like, but it's important to continue to pursue your spouse. See, a relationship like this one with your wife, with your husband, is not static. If it's not improving, then it is getting worse. And dating your wife is a conscious way, and it's a conscious decision to continue to pour into her. So, knowing your wife means to continuing to uh, to date her. Another thing is to know your wife's love languages. How many of you have read the book by Gary Chapman, or have at least heard the book uh, Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Yeah, in this book, he points out that there are different ways that each of us feel loved. And one of the reasons why there are tensions in marriage relationships is because people are literally speaking different languages. And so he shares that one of the ways to to make sure your love is being clearly expressed is to express it in the language that your spouse talks so he, he gives a couple different love languages. He says that one of those is words of affirmation. Uh, these are just sharing, encouraging words with your spouse. My father-in-law, uh, the, he and his wife have been married uh, for 30 plus years. And just about every single day, he leaves my mother-in-law a note, a handwritten note on the kitchen table expressing his, his love for her. That's a way of showing his love through words of encouragement. Another one is quality time. This is a time where you have the TV off, your phones are in the other room, and you are just spending time with one another. This is one of Crystal's love languages. And so this is a time where we're not really doing anything. We're just being. We just are. It's quality time. Another one is gift giving. People feel loved when they receive gifts. It doesn't mean that they are materialistic or, or a consumeristic person. It just means that they feel loved when they receive gifts, and oftentimes those gifts are uh, most significant when they are homemade, when there is less money spent and more time spent on those gifts. Another uh, love language is acts of service. This is when you do stuff to show your love For Your spouse go around and clean the bathroom without being asked or vacuum without being asked one of my friends when I lived in Chicago uh, Was a man in his mid-50s. He had recently been divorced and he began to start dating another woman uh, who had also been divorced recently and one of the things that he did one day was he snuck into his girlfriend's house and I know that can sound a little weird We're not going to judge him for that, but he sneaks into his his girlfriend's house to do one thing now, one thing was to clean her microwave, and when she came home and she saw that her microwave was clean, after a long, hard day of work as a single mother, she knew that he was the one, all from a simple act of service. Her love language was acts of service. And the final one is physical touch. This is for people who uh, feel loved through uh, hugs, through kisses, through holding Hands and, and, and things like that. It's what that love language is all about. So it's important for us to know what our wives' love languages are, to be able to communicate our love with them. Another thing that we could honestly look at many different reasons or, or ways that we can know our spouses, I just want to zoom in on one final one, and that is this to feed her soul, to feed your wife's soul. See, part of sacrificing self. And service to your spouse is to love her spiritually. It's impossible for us to be two individual Christians and two different silos or or two different bubbles. And and the only thing that we do together that is faith-related is praying over the mealtime or coming to church together. This means praying together, studying the Bible together, leading your children in family worship together. When you hear that, you might say, well, Jordan, I don't have enough time for that. I don't know exactly how you expect me to have my quiet time by myself and then to have my quiet time with my wife and then to have my quiet time with my children. What on earth is realistic here? When Crystal and I got married, um, I was really excited about this part of, of being a husband. I was really excited to date my wife, but also to feed her soul to focus on the spiritual aspect of our relationship and so i had a couple ideas of what we were going to do each and every week so we were going to fast once a week we were going to memorize scripture every day we were going to pray together multiple times a day we were actually going to once or twice a week spend about an hour or so in prayer together we were going to read the bible together we were going to read theology together we were going to worship together and some of you guys right now are saying what on earth was he thinking It lasted about a week, if that. In fact, I was so focused on what the things that I could be doing that I made us both feel awful and feel like disappointments and like we weren't doing a good job of this Christian relationship, Christian marriage thing when we failed to memorize the book of Ephesians in a month. Feeding your wife's soul doesn't have to take a lot of time. But it's crucial. What does it look like? Maybe studying the Bible together once or twice a week, praying together daily, communicating well with one another so you know how to be praying for your spouse. It doesn't have to be a lot, but it is important and crucial. You should know your wife. And you know your wife through dating her, through knowing her love languages, and feeding her soul. Another calling for Christian men that we find in this passage is to praise your wife, to praise your wife. One of the best pieces of church leadership advice I ever got was to praise someone other than God, to lift someone up other than God. This doesn't mean to worship them, but to be intentional about lifting them up. And when Peter says here to show honor to your wife. That's what he's referring to. To be intentional about praising your wife and, and showing gratitude to her. What are the ways that you do this? Well, one of the ways is with words. Use your voice to thank her for all the things that she does. If she stays at home with the children, then make sure you will show your gratefulness to her for that. If she tends to make more meals than you do, be sure to share your gratefulness to her for that. If she has a big presentation at works and just knocks it out of the park, be sure to show her praise, show her honor with your words. Another way that we show honor and show praise to our wives is through money. Uh, Now, this doesn't mean going into debt, buying all of these different things uh, that you think would make her happy, because frankly, that's idolatry. But it does mean when you do have extra money at the end of the month or when you get an extra bonus, think of her before you think of yourself. Praise your wife with money. Another way is to praise your wife with time with time. God gives you the opportunity to show how much you appreciate, show much you ha- how much you value your wife with your time. Don't let it just be your words. Let it be with your time. Another thing to do is, is with service. If God's calling for us as, as godly Christian husbands is to serve our wives self-sacrificially, then it makes sense to serve our wives through service through actually finishing the house projects that she wants done, to to do these tangible things to serve our wives, to praise our wives with service. And finally, probably the most important one is to praise our wives in public, to praise your wife in public. Now this should mirror uh, a private praise for your wife. You shouldn't just be putting on a show out in public, but it is vital to show others how much you are thankful for your wife. If if people get annoyed with how much you talk about how awesome your wife is, then you're probably doing it right. Praise your wife in front of others in public. There are many other callings for Christian men that God has for us, but I just want to look at, at one final thing that probably uh, raise a red flag for you as you were reading this passage, and, and that is this phrase, weaker vessel. When we read weaker vessel, we, we tend to just get really, really on edge about that. What is, what is Peter saying here? Is Peter sexist when he is saying this? Well, no. I'll, I'll tell you that right off the bat. That's not the case. Uh, in the first century, most people actually believed that women were uh, weaker morally, they were weaker spiritually, and they were actually weaker in, in intellectually. So women were actually considered to have loose morals, they were considered to be not as smart as men, and the only way for them to actually get to God was through their spouse. And what people think is that Peter is saying the exact same thing here when he's referring to women as the weaker vessel, but that's not the case at all. If you look later on in verse 7, Peter calls women heirs co-heirs with their husbands to the grace of life. Peter isn't saying that women are inferior to men. Peter's actually saying the exact opposite. I think that what he's doing here is he's really doing two things. First, he's commenting on physical stature. Uh, With a few exceptions, most men are larger than women are. This isn't so much a sexist statement as it is a physiological fact that Peter is making here. Second thing is, uh, I I believe that he's referencing the social situation of women in that day and age. I mentioned that women were considered to be uh, inferior to men, and because of that, they had very few rights. They were considered to be property of their husbands, and they had to do everything and anything that he wanted them to do. And Peter, when he calls the woman the weaker vessel, is is recognizing the cultural situation. He's recognizing what things were like in that day and age without actually condoning it. In fact, he's saying that this cultural situation is an opportunity for men to love their wives even more. If you remember a couple weeks ago as we were going through the book of Luke, uh, the first chapter of Luke, for Advent, One of the things that we pointed out is that God has a tendency to use the weaker vessels to spread his gospel. And I think he's doing the same thing here. God used the social situation, the very difficult situation that many women found themselves in to spread the gospel. We you looked in the verse six verses of of what this calling looks like to to sacrifice self, to die to self for women, uh, for the sake of spreading the gospel to others. And that's exactly what's happening here. When Peter is calling them the weaker vessel, he's saying that God is going to use that as an opportunity to spread the gospel to your husband, to spread the gospel to your children, to others. It also is a reason for husbands to love and to pray for and to protect their wives. So that's really the Christian calling for men as husbands to do those things. God calls Christian husbands to know their wives, to praise their wives. There's no exception for that. And and what we look at next in the final half of this verse is we see the motive that Peter gives for this. So please uh, follow along, picking up the second half of of verse 7, where Peter says this, Since they are heirs with you of grace, of the grace of this life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter has already told us what the calling for Christian men is. He said that there's no exceptions to that, and now he focuses on why this calling matters for us, and he focuses first on the fact that we are equals before God. There is equality between men and women before God. I mentioned earlier the inequality of the ancient world that was often uh, seen. And for Peter to say this, for Peter to tell women that they no longer had access to God through their husbands, that they were now co-heirs with their husbands to the grace of this life, would have been revolutionary for that day and age. And I think what Peter is saying, for better or for worse... Uh, for many situations today, for better, uh, for many situations today, unfortunately, for the worse. Men, God has given you the responsibility to help your family understand and and apply the gospel. Let me say that again. Husbands and and fathers, God has given you the responsibility to help your family understand and apply the gospel. Now, this doesn't mean that you're in charge of every little aspect of of the spiritual life of your family. Oftentimes it looks like this saying, honey, look, I know that you are better at teaching our kids than I am. And so how can I come alongside of you? How can I empower you and equip you to help our children understand the gospel, understand the grace of God more in this life? In the book of Ezekiel, God calls Ezekiel a watchman. He says that Ezekiel will be held responsible for telling The people who are far from God, that they are far from God. I think that husbands, in a very similar way, we are watchmen. God will hold us responsible for these things. God will hold us responsible for making sure that our family understands and applies the gospel in their lives. Now, that doesn't mean we're responsible for how our children respond to that truth, but it is our responsibility to share that with them. It is not my responsibility. It is not the church's responsibility. It is your responsibility. And if all you do to disciple your children is make sure you get them in the car on Sunday mornings, then it's time to step up. God expects more from you as a husband, and God expects more from you as a father. Your wife is a co-heir with you of grace, and that means that you treat her not only as your wife, but also as a sister in Christ. You should be focused on how you can encourage her in her faith, how you can spur her on in her faith. And some of you may be wondering, okay, well, Jordan, what about the situations when my wife is stronger in her faith than I am? Does this responsibility still apply to me? What should I do in those situations? Well, I think there are a couple things that you should do. First, thank God. Are you kidding me? Your wife loves Jesus more than she loves you? This is the woman that Peter is describing in in verses 1 through 6. This is Sarah that he is describing right here. Praise God for this wonderful, beautiful, unimaginable gift that God has given you. So thank God for your wife. Second thing would be to empower your wife. Feeding your wife's soul has nothing to do with where you both are spiritually. You can feed your wife's soul if she's much more mature than you are, or you can do it vice versa. It's being intentional about encouraging her to pouring into her and investing in her. Continue to empower your wife. And the third thing is to grow. Regardless of where you're at in your, in your faith, Grow. In a couple weeks, we're going to start a men's Bible study on Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m. at the Dream Center. And this will be an opportunity for you to grow. We'll be going through the gospel of Mark together and would invite you to to come to that. Uh, More information will be in the bulletin in the coming weeks, but that's one way to grow. Another way... To grow would be to get in an Iron Man group. These are groups of men that that join together to hold one another accountable and to spur one another on towards love and good deeds and, and our relationships with God. If those things don't work for you, if you don't have the time to do that, that's all right. But be intentional about finding a way to grow so that you can serve your wife and serve your children. There's another reason that Peter gives here about why this calling is so important for Christian men. And that's that your spiritual vitality depends on it. Your spiritual vitality depends on how you're doing as a husband. I love this last phrase in this verse. I think sometimes we look at it and we can see it's a little out of place and might be a little bit of a throwaway phrase, but I think for some of us it's probably the most important phrase Here. And and Peter says this at the end of verse 7. He says, So that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. If you're a married Christian man and you neglect your marriage for the sake of your own spiritual growth, then you're a fool. You cannot thrive spiritually while neglecting your marriage with God. One of the reasons why God has given us marriage is because it is an arena. It's an opportunity for us to die to ourselves. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer tells us that the call of the gospel is to call to come and die. We as Christians are called to die to ourselves daily, to look ourselves in the mirror and say, all right, how am I going to die to myself and to live to Christ today? It's a calling for us each and every day. And God has given those of us who are married these this wonderful arena, this wonderful opportunity to practice that, to focus on how we can die to ourselves each and every day for the good of our spouses, for the good of our children, for the good of others. We die to ourselves. See, God in marriage forces us to come face to face with our very own sinfulness, our desires to focus only on ourselves. God has given you marriage as an opportunity to grow spiritually. Serving your wife is a conscious, spiritual act. And every time you do something for your wife, you are actually growing in your faith. Conversely, every time you refuse to do something for your wife, you're hindering your own spiritual growth. You're hindering your growth to God. God actually puts a barrier in between him and between you when you choose to neglect this calling as a Christian husband. See, Peter's aim here is relatively simple. It's to call men to action. It's it's to call men to serve God through serving their spouses. The responsibility that God gives men to give husbands is great. In fact, it is honestly too big of a responsibility for us. But that's why God gives us his spirit. God gives us the spirit to empower us, to equip us, to be able to accomplish these things. And if you've screwed up in the past, if there have been times where you have been passive, when you should have been active, when you've neglected this calling that God has for you, the good news of the gospel is that there is hope, that there are second chances, that God will forgive you for your past mistakes and for your past, uh, honestly, ineptitude as a husband. God gives us grace, and God also gives us an opportunity to practice these things in the future. Godly husbands sacrifice self in service to their spouse. Now, some of you may be wondering, well, what does this passage have to do, what does this passage say to those who aren't married, to those who uh, are single? What is this passage telling uh, so I think that even though it focuses primarily on the relationship between the husband and the wife, it has a lot to say to those who aren't married. For women, it tells us, and it's a challenge to cultivate that Christ-like spirit of Sarah in your life, to focus on the imperishable beauty of a gentle spirit. Seek to do that which is very precious in the eyes of your heavenly Father, who is the king of the entire universe. And for men, I think it's an opportunity to seek to cultivate this spiritual strength that Peter describes here. It's an opportunity to grow in your faith. See, in in scripture, Peter and Paul and a number of the biblical authors refer to both marriage and singleness as gifts. They are gifts. God has given you a gift, whether you are are married or whether you are singled, it is a gift. It is an opportunity to serve God, to use that time, to use that time period, whether it is permanent or whether it is temporary. It is an opportunity for you to serve God, to grow in your faith, to grow closer to him. For those of you who aren't married, don't waste this gift that God has given you. For those of you who are married, this passage has so much truth for us. See, Peter makes it very clear to us that if you're married, your marriage is crucial for your spiritual walk. Do not neglect it. A godly husband sacrifices self for the service of his spouse. Is it hard? Yes. But is it worth it? A thousand times yes. May God bless and be glorified in the marriages of his church. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the challenge that you give us in this passage. We thank you for the gospel and the spirit who empower us to keep this truth to be able to work out this truth. God, we, we pray for forgiveness for the times where we have failed you, where we have failed our spouses. God, we thank you for the grace that you give us in those times. And Father, going forward from here, I pray that that grace would continue to be at work in our hearts and in our lives, that you would help us to have even just small little victories, And that from those victories, we continue to grow in our faith, continue to grow in our ability to serve one another, to love one another self-sacrificially. And God, that you would be glorified in the marriages of your church. That as they walk together, that they would point to Christ and his church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.